Hello, bonjour, and willkommen to the Campaign Podcast, brought to you by your humble scribes at Campaign Magazine. I'm Omar Oaks. I write about media and tech. And I'm Brittany Kiefer. I'm the Creativity and Culture Editor. Later in this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Rob Pierre, the founder and chief executive of the digital agency group Jellyfish, who has a lot to say about the future of marketing and also doing away with old-fashioned agency models, including why line managers shouldn't exist and why they use scientific formulas to determine pay rises. And some more on that later. But first, Brittany, um, first of all, most importantly, where are you up to on The Sopranos and do you still think it's six out of ten? <laughs> I'm still in series two. It's a long show. Um, I would just like to apologize to my brother who listened to the last episode and The Sopranos is his favorite show and he was very upset with my rating. Um, I'm going to I'm going to up it to a seven because the last episode I watched was uh, someone got shot and (laughs) it was pronounced. It's pretty engaging. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen The Sopranos myself, but I would have thought that someone getting shot is standard fare. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that swung it for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually am more into the set, the therapy sessions that Tony Soprano has and anything to do with his family and children. So I don't know. Maybe it's the mafia aspect that doesn't really capture my attention. Uh, but that is a main element of the show. I see. I see. I see. Um have I been watching anything? Oh, you know what I am watching? I'm watching um on Netflix, Call My Agent. Oh, I love that show. Ah, you watch it too, yes. It's sort of like Kirby Enthusiasm where it's real life celebs who send themselves up in the show and these, these agents in the talent agency represent them. And it's really funny. And if you speak a bit of French, uh, I would recommend... Is that where you learned the French greeting for our podcast? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think I've got European flavour. Um... I wonder if anything's going on in politics with Europe, but no, we won't talk about that. Uh, now, <laughs> let's talk about advertising. People are here to hear us talk about the ads. So we've picked out some ad campaigns this week, and who knows, we might um, slip in a few news stories while we're at it as well. Um, but first, what caught our eye? Um, first, in no particular order, um, was a new campaign by Pornhub. Mm. Um, this is by, um, they're called Pornhub Cares is like their their internal um, philanthropic um, company, a division which um, talks about philanthropic things. Um, Let's have a quick listen to what they're talking about. The world is getting fucked and not in a sexy way. We're driving too many cars, eating the wrong things using too much water and overall creating too much waste so that's by Pornhub um, it's called Sextainability uh, it's a sustainability campaign encouraging viewers to come together for Mother Earth so Brittany um, did did this make you more environmentally conscious and what did it make you think about Pornhub's brand well, no, I, I wouldn't credit Pornhub with my environmental um, knowledge, but it's interesting because they've actually gone into this area before. It's not their first environmental campaign. Um, in 2019, they did a campaign about plastic pollution, and they also did another campaign called Be Sexual to help save the bees. Uh-huh. Um, they... It seems like an odd choice for Pornhub to talk about the environment, but they've very much been doing using marketing to kind of cultivate a brand identity that goes beyond just being a site for porn videos. But I, I don't think we can talk about Pornhub without talking about the recent controversy that involved them. May I go into that a bit? You may. You talk about whatever you want. So... Uh, In December, there is an investigation in the New York Times that found something that a lot of people already knew, but there are quite a few videos on Pornhub's site that featured underage or sex-trafficked people. Um, And they ended up, after this investigation was published, they ended up removing a large majority of their videos that featured such people. And it was something like they had about 13 million videos and they went down to 4 million. Um, And in that time, Visa and MasterCard cut ties with them. 
but this had been something that was going on for a while. Like in 2019, we published a story about Unilever and Kraft Heinz um, stopping or pledging to stop advertising on Pornhub site because of this issue that had come to light. Um, so Pornhub, that's, you know, the most recent before this campaign that Pornhub has been in the news. And because of that and some other issues, I find it very odd that Pornhub has chosen to talk about the environment in their marketing. Like whenever people talk about brand purpose, they always say that the purpose should be core to that brand. It shouldn't be a cause that they've just jumped on and chosen to talk about because it's trendy. I think why, you know, why not would Pornhub, why would Pornhub not address some of these issues and talk about sex in a healthy way because they have a captive audience to discuss that topic. Um, in, in 2019, I also published a feature called the new rules of sex and advertising. And there are some really interesting information in there. I spoke to a strategist at Havas who works with Durex and they, Durex does a, a lot of research into sex every year. And she said to me that porn has seeped into everything and it's the new sex education for a younger generation. And of course, like porn can be a healthy avenue for people to explore and um, get into fantasy, but it can also be guilty of promoting unrealistic or extreme versions of sex. And I feel like this, if porn is a source of sex education for so many people, I feel this is an opportunity for Pornhub to talk about that and make that part of their brand purpose. Yeah, I remember, um, was, I think it was almost exactly a year ago we did a podcast with Havas talking about um, a new Durex campaign and so we talked a lot about these issues about responsibility of sex brands, if that's what the proper term for it, um, the responsibility of these brands to promote responsible um, sexual conduct because, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues there to unpack. But yes, of course, you know, the last year there was an investigation into Pornhub and um, it, underage um, people being on the platform and we know that there are issues to do with exploitation with porn so to, I think you're absolutely right when you say that brand purpose if it's authentic and legitimate and going to be effective it needs to actually be core to your brand mm -hmm. and um you know you can you can see all these ads listener by the way on campaignlive.co.uk all these ads that we're talking about including this one but you know, where you'll see you know this ad it's just incredibly insincere. So you've got these 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 actual um, porn hub models on the plat feature on the platform, and they're providing all this advice on how to be more sustainable, such as reducing food waste and saving water and recycling responsibility, recycling responsibly rather. And I won't repeat some of the awful puns and kind of double entendres that, but it's it's really pathetic, um, and I can't. I'm struggling because I can't tell whether I'm being really unfair and say, well, it's, you know, climate change is an existential threat to the earth and it's better to talk about it than not talk about it. Mm -hmm. Or whether this is just completely cynical in, you know, this brand trying to mainstream itself. And I've got a big problem with um, this. I mentioned at the top Pornhub Cares is, you know, the, the people within Pornhub that do this. I mean, they created this vision, I think, in 2012. It's been going for a while and they've done things like save the bees it is save the bee campaign and they've mm -hmm. done something help Pornhub save the boobs which was supporting breast cancer research and I really struggle because on the one hand maybe it's a good thing that they're doing you know something's better than nothing or is it just completely piggybacking piggybacking off legitimate things which actually I mean you can maybe argue the breast cancer research is but generally it's nothing really to do with their brand is it yeah, it feels very cynical to me as well. And they have this huge platform. Like, let's not pretend that it's not probably one of the most popular sites online. Why don't they use that for a purpose that is actually core to their brand instead of, like you said, piggybacking on something that um, they don't really, they haven't earned a right to talk yeah, about? I think um, some stats. Eighth most visited website worldwide with 42 billion visits in 2019. Um, and a lot of figures get bandied about by how much of the internet is actually taken up by porn traffic. And Statista actually did some work into this. And they said that it's actually, it's 
people always quote figures like 30, 40%. It's not as high as that. It's actually something like 4% in terms of websites, 13% web searches, 20% mobile searches, interestingly. So that is quite high. Um, but it's not as much as you probably think how much porn takes up the internet space. Um, but talking about the environment, <laughs> how much data and electricity is being used by this service? And how is this negative externality, as we say in economics, how is that being dealt with? I, I don't know, but mm. um, sort out your own house. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, Pornhub, <laughs> to limit that. Uh, you, you've, you've got me on a rant. And I didn't even talk about, you, you mentioned um, brands like Unilever having ads on Pornhub. I mean, what was it doing there in the first place? But I don't want to get into that. That's a whole other conversation. Let's move on, shall we? Something lighter? Yeah, something lighter. Let's let's do zombies. Uh, we've got a new campaign by Bringles, mm. and it's got zombies in it. This one's by Grey. Let's have a quick listen. <laughs> so this is called Meet Zombie Frank, and it's a series of ads... Um, running on Pringles UK and Raw Fury Twitter accounts and other places on social media. What they've done, they've teamed up with um, Xbox, the Microsoft console, to bring a digital zombie to life. The zombie, who's called Frank, bursts out of this video game that they're partially promoting, West of Dead, via Amazon's Twitch Twitch platform, live stream chatting, uh, and it appears to enter the real world, where he'll interact with gamers over Pringles UK uh, and Raw Fury. Uh, what do you think, Brittany? Well, I'm not a gamer, I have to say that up front, but I did go down a bit of a black hole following Frank's adventures since he escaped from the game. Would you like to hear what he's been up to so far? I would love to. So he's tried a lot of flavors of Pringles. He's tried a flavor called New York Hot Dog and also one called Prawn Cocktail. Um, He's written a poem, which I will read to you. His poem says, Pringles are red, Pringles are blue, they come in a can. Pringles, Pringles, Pringles. That's interesting. For a first attempt at first attempt at poetry, it's not bad. Um, is it is it a first attempt? Because presumably, if it was a zombie, are you saying that he became a poet zombie? Oh well, that's a good question. I didn't look into that, but I will. Um, he's supposed to be learning some new personality traits that he will have when he re-enters the game. Oh. But his ultimate task i think at hand is he's going to be starring in some pringles ads so i look forward to seeing those yes uh this particular campaign was created by gray's terry o'neill and angela harding directed by connor burn through hunky dory and missing pieces uh and media by cara um yeah it's i quite like this i mean i quite I quite like silly, funny ads, but um, it's it's generally good to see, you know, we've seen a lots of bigger brands actually start to lean more into computer gaming content and, you know, amplifying it through above the line and social media. And it's interesting that even for a non-gamer such as yourself, you've been sucked into the to, to this story. Do you think it do you think it's compelling? Do you think it's well done? I think it's well done. And I think that he's an interesting character and it's really fun. And I think that that's what a lot of brands should be doing at the moment, just having fun. Yeah. I mean, um, I did a feature, God, was it 2019? How the time flies? I did a big feature um, about um, gaming uh, and just, you know, the lamentation from a lot of agencies and marketers about why gaming wasn't being taken more seriously as an advertising platform. And I think mm. that we've really crossed, we've really crossed a line now in terms of lots of agencies and marketers are thinking very differently and we've seen just in the last few weeks uh publicist group have launched a specialist gaming division i i talked to um nick farnhill uh who runs publicist poke in the uk um and you know for for a while this has been on the agenda where they get it you know it's a huge you know we're talking about an industry which is bigger than films and and music combined it's huge and just the fact that you know it's it's not just xbox games like this example but you know it's smartphone games as well and it doesn't have to be these these crappy kind of um the, the, the where you have to like play a game for 10 seconds and then just get rid of it you can actually do some really creative things particularly with augmented reality and all these new things that um, your snazzy smartphones can do as well so yeah i i don't think it's a very bold prediction but i think you're going to see lots more gaming marketing in the next 12 months mm, definitely so we next we've got EE 
Everything Everywhere, I'm sure all our listeners knew what EE stands for, uh, the Tolicom mobile brand. Uh, they've launched a new campaign starring Kevin Bacon, of course he is. Uh, this is a message for teachers. Let's have a quick lesson. My mom was a teacher, so I know just how crucial education is. Right now, millions of school children are being asked to learn from home, yet many have difficulties getting online. That's why EE is offering free, unlimited data to kids who need it the most. Teachers, just search EE Lockdown Learning to find out how you can get your pupils connected. Kevin Bacon there, and if you see the ad on our website, he actually sits with a photo of his mother, who was a teacher. Mm, How touching. Yes. uh, This is created uh, by Saatchi and Saatchi, by Rodrigo Castiari, Gary Arnold, Neil Ritchie, Alice Morani, and Christina Candido, lots of them, uh, directed by Chris Fay through Saatchi and Saatchi and Prodigious, with the media by WPP's Essence. Um, so, yeah, doing something positive for the pandemic. Um, they did do a similar initiative uh, last year uh, where they gave unlimited data to NHS workers. This time they're going to provide unlimited data to pupils struggling to stay connected during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so, Brittany, um, you said it was touching. Did it, are, you, are you being sincere? Did it really touch you? <laughs> Sorry, I was being I was being slightly sarcastic, but I do actually like this campaign um, because it's simple. It's straightforward. Uh, whether you like Kevin Bacon or not, he's the face of the brand. But I think it's just a, a good example of a brand providing practical support during this ongoing crisis. And I think that there's an opportunity for a lot of other brands to do so. And um, it's not flashy because it shouldn't be because it's just about helping this community. And, um, you know, this is an example, I think, like unlike Pornhub, where they have a purpose with this, but it does feel sincere because it's something that their brand can actually do that they have a right to um, help with. Yeah, I think it's an important point. And um, it's interesting, you know, you kind of you kind of just want a utility company sometimes to just act like a utility company. This, you know, I think it's really important. It's something comforting and it feels stable and solid um, I can't help, uh, I must refer to the recent Above the Line ad activity with Rita Ora. <laughs> uh, are we allowed to mention Rita Ora? Uh, he, he, she who does not respect COVID rules. Um, but, she, you know, the, um, you remember promoting 5G and she, I can only describe it as Godzilla. She's, she's like a Godzilla figure that is like 5G's turned into this monster that kind of like um, parades herself around central London. You know, she's performing and it's it's all very strange. There's someone you should meet. You've never seen AR like this before. Rita Ora. Hey, Anna. This one's for you. Live over 5G. It's very memorable. I'm sure it works, but it's very strange. Um, and I kind of think that you're a utility company and you just kind of want to provide the best service. And I don't, you know, is this really communicating that? It's strange. So I kind of like a bit of Kevin Bacon just being nice and talking to the camera and telling me why they're doing a good thing. Me too. <laughs> yes. Um, now, uh, now onto something a little bit different. Um, interesting comment piece on our site this week by Aidan McClure, who is founding partner and chief creative officer of Wonderhood Studios. He says, Wonderhood, fairly new agency, we're running our agency like a factory. Um, he says, we all start at the same time. Everyone takes a mandatory one hour lunch break between 12.30 and 1.30pm. No emails or meetings during lunch. No emails or meetings during 7pm and 8am on and weekends. And that is urgent. The important thing is to do this together. So it's uninterrupted. If you need to get stuff off your to-do list, press send later and the email arrives during socially acceptable hours. Um, Brittany, what? what? This sounds strange on the face of it. What's he talking about? Well, uh, I thought I, I really enjoyed this piece. I, he talks about how the creative industries, to quote him, are notoriously bad at allowing people to switch off. And so he says, maybe we can all learn from the least creative places to work. So it's kind of a, an unexpected idea. But um, I think that he, he raises a good point that uh, I've always heard this, that agencies are are not known for allowing people work-life balance and time to switch off. And of course, that's very important to creativity. So he, you know, he's guessing that if he allows, you know, if they try this system, if they allow this to happen, um, that their creative output will improve as a result. And I, I think that he's right about that. But you also raise an important point about 
what about clients? Because ultimately they're, they're an agency and they serve clients. So what happens if a client contacts you out of hours? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a client service industry and you, you, when, you know, people, some people say it privately, some people say it publicly, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we are again referring to a previous episode. We, we did a, this was before lockdown. Um, Camilla Harrison from Anomaly, we talked about flexible working and she said, well, it's not really, um, she, she, it's not really the conversation shouldn't be about a four day week she said it's really about how do we manage ourselves in a seven day week because ultimately that flexible working cuts both ways and frankly if a client is calling up at 5 p.m on friday or a saturday morning or a sunday night whatever are you really not gonna answer the phone are you really not gonna take that call and then call up your creative team to say something needs to change urgently if aiden you know if he's gonna turn around and say yeah we're not that's brilliant but i i'd be interested to hear that um, but generally interesting idea about how in order to enable people to be creative, you need to enforce rigid rules. So to ensure that everyone's kind of together at the same time, mm-hmm. do you, have you heard about other agencies doing that? I've heard of agencies, for example, that, um, well, Uncommon is an example of this. That early on, they said that they were going to have a day, I think it was Fridays, where they just worked on their own projects. So it's like giving their staff some freedom to explore their own ideas and ventures. I'm not sure if they still do that actually, but um, I think there's something to this for sure. And a lot of creative leaders talk about giving their creative space to, you know, this was in the time when we went to offices, but not be in the office, go for a walk, like go to the pub and chat, go to, you know, um, see a gallery or whatever. But um, I think that that's something creative leaders publicly talk about. In practice, do I think it happens? No. And especially not during lockdown when people are, the lines between work and your home life are completely blurred. Businesses are under a lot of pressure to deliver and keep their businesses going. So I think that's why Wonderhood is taking this approach now or why they realize it's important because it's so they're under so much pressure um but it'll be interesting to see if that continues when offices actually do reopen and people are maybe expected to go back in and um continue life as usual yeah um and the other thing i mean last week we talked a lot about new business and how agencies both on the creative and media side are going to be pitching a lot a lot this year because it's for various reasons we got into last week but lots of new business activity and as agencies listening to this will know lots of pitches means frankly weekend work evening work because you're having to work extra hard to win that business and if you don't do it you think the other agency will do it so it becomes this this um what's the opposite of the lowest common denominator it, it just really pushes the boundaries in terms of how people are expected to work and yeah it's really difficult during lockdown but i don't really see this process changing mm. um so that's the other thing especially for an agency like wonderhood which is relatively new and looking to grow and expand and win new business again are you if that client you know changes the brief ahead of the pitch at the last minute before the weekend you know you you're gonna have to suck it up aren't you but to play devil's advocate to go back to Aiden's side do you think that there's an argument that if they are making better work as a result of this maybe it should change and when we go back to offices I think a lot of people will not expect to go back to the way things were exactly and I think that the the need for creating this kind of balance or giving people space um, is really top of mind. And a lot of people have thought, well, I don't have to do my best work by commuting or by being in the office, you know, all day trained to my desk. So I think this isn't a, this is a question that won't go away. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's the chief creative officer and, you know, he knows best how to get the the best creatively out of his team. Um, I think maybe what I'm referring to is more of a client management issue. And I think, you know, if you have strong client account managers then maybe it is possible to negotiate these things and actually create better working conditions for agencies in order to you know have that better creative output but you know in practice from what people have said to me and what you know I just don't see it happening but uh yes you're absolutely right Uh, this is going to rumble on and on and on um before we 
wrap up just some other news from the campaign site this week um arena media is no more um havas media is taking the brand well it's going to become havas media like everything else um they've also launched havas entertainment they've got three core propositions to havas media now media e-commerce and entertainment read that on campaign line uk as well as tiktok and wpp entering into a global partnership uh group m has launched a data ethics tool um and netflix um story by gideon spania netflix has reduced its marketing and advertising spend by 23 percent last year which is somewhat counterintuitive if you think you're in a streaming content war and advertising was actually relatively cheap last year because of the the demand collapse uh maybe maybe that's why um it went down by 23 maybe it's just cheaper i don't know uh but read that story in campaignlive.co.uk uh we're almost out of time Brittany. um what are you up to for the rest of the week uh, i'm gonna continue watching the sopranos so i'll let you know how it goes next week good uh hopefully at least 10 episodes i will give a review of um call my agent or 10 as it's called in france and you know, I'm I'm gonna. You know, I'm really. In, you've got me interested in this idea that I had about doing a a Mad Men rewatch uh, podcast spin-off where we look at old episodes of Mad Men and do a do an episode review. But we also talk to ad agency creatives and say, you know, wasn't it funny that they all used to get pissed all the time and all that sort of thing? So um, yeah, I'm gonna revive that. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, Brittany. Uh, see you next time. And now to our interview with Rob Pierre from Jellyfish. Thanks, Omar. So I'm here today with Rob Pierre. Rob founded Jellyfish in 2005, and it's a business that he's called a digital partner to advertisers. It became known as a specialist in managing marketing on Google, and thanks to the boom in search advertising, it has grown rapidly from a small consultancy in Surrey to a global business with over 1,100 people in over 40 offices around the world. Um, Last year, Jellyfish took investment from France's Fermilac Group in a deal that valued the company at £500 million, and it has plans to expand further globally. Um, so hello Rob um firstly where does the podcast find you on this chilly February morning <laughs> it finds me in a extension to our house which is going to be knocked down but uh, um yeah I'm working from home I live very near the the office in Rygate so I'm quite tempted often to go into the office but uh, I think with the government guidelines and making sure that uh, we can work for, if we can work from home to work from home so I'm doing as I'm told <laughs> aren't we all um so um we'll get into um jellyfish and the expansion plans that you've had in a while um but i've been meaning to get you on the podcast for a little bit um because um as well as having a really interesting company um you've actually been quite thoughtful about the future of work the future of the agency model um even before um, the lockdowns of last year and the new situation we've found ourselves in um maybe just give listeners a bit of a background they might not know jellyfish um Firstly, what's your background? What what were you doing before Jellyfish? And what is Jellyfish? So my background, uh, I was in retail, actually. And uh, I worked for Sunglass Hut for a large period of my career. And uh, eventually, I was running the European division from a sales and marketing perspective. And uh, then I worked for an entrepreneur for three years. And then I got together with a, a friend of mine and we created Jellyfish. And that started, as you rightfully said, a small, it was an IT consultancy in Rygate. We had about six people uh, in 2005. And uh, we started off as a specialist paid search agency. So we built landing pages and microsites, but also it was the birth of search. And slowly but surely, we expanded all of our services to offer the full spectrum and uh, now we operate anywhere from fully in-housing to fully outsourcing. We offer more than just uh, the traditional agency services like creative and media. We offer training, consultancy, data, um, technology integration. And obviously with lockdown, people consuming digital products and services even more than they were before because they've been forced to in many cases. Um, you know, we've written a campaign about lots of brands accelerating digital transformation in many instances. Um, I presume this has been a good pandemic for you in the nicest possible way. 
Right. I mean, when I'm asked this question, it's almost with a bit of guilt that I have to say that, yeah, we panicked at the beginning. We thought we put a lot of measures in place and uh, made sure that we had all the, the contingencies in place if we were going to see a huge decline in revenue. Uh, what's ended up happening is uh, we've seen like five years of digital transformation in those five months. And uh, there's a realization by brands that you have to consider your digital transformation. And, you know, we put that digital transformation into the four pillars of the people. And that's not just capabilities and skills. That's your mindset and, you know, that paradigm shift that the business needs to experience. We got to the end of the year. We're performing extremely well. I would say on sort of recurring revenue, we're only a couple of months behind where we, where we would have been without the, the COVID pandemic. And I think we're going to surpass where we would have expected to be within the next six months simply because of this transition you're talking about. Mm. Um, I mean, that that's extraordinary. It's been such a tough time for this industry. So it's it's refreshing to hear a story like that. Um, and in terms of the expansion, you took this um, this um, significant investment from this French investment group, Fermilac, last year. Um, clearly, um, the mission is to grow jellyfish. And you mentioned creativity just now. People know you as a performance agency, as, as you put it. Um, but you're actually looking to augment those services, get into more creative um, advertising on the digital side. Um, so given, given all the, the shocks and the, the, the problems in the industry over the last year with the pandemic, um, how, how, how has it affected your expansion plans? Well, it hasn't. I think uh, just watching the way things are trending and the, the difference in the RFPs that we're participating in, the conversation has uh, become more mature we're dealing with much more senior stakeholders we're involved in the strategy not just the execution so there's been there's been so much confidence to continue investing and of course you've got the likes of s4 sort of paving the way and showing the level of interest in the market and uh, these as he's coining them new age agencies and and partners i think so martin sorrell's s4 capital that's the one and, uh, and he's saying all the right things, you know, he's doing all the right things, saying all the right things. Um, so what we're doing... Are you, are you most, are you, are you most, you mentioned this, are you most scared of them as, as a rival? I guess some other rivals potentially in your space would be the likes of Brain Labs, uh, you and Mr. Jones group. Well, yes. And well, I'm certainly not scared in any shape or form. I think that there's so much opportunity and everybody's charging to the same place. I respect them all. And I think that they're offering value in the ecosystem. I just think that we may not be perceived as different, but we're definitely going to be distinctive in the way in which we set up our organization. And the fact that we're sort of growing it as much organically as we are through ac acquisition means that we've got this sort of unique, totally joined up solution and and company well um in in terms of organic growth i noted of interest recently um you've hired tom roach from um adam and eve ddb now um he he's someone that um i i don't know tom very well but he's someone that um strikes me as you know he's he's known as an effectiveness champion on the the, the advertising agency side um so what are you doing hiring someone like that if you're, you're this digital performance um agency yeah, that's a great question. And, and that practice and that strategy and that effectiveness has always been part of our proposition. It's just that we're not renowned for it. What the appointment of Tom has done, one, it did, I'm just delighted that we're able to attract talent like Tom. And again, as if we talk about the infrastructure at Jellyfish, it allows us to embrace these different senior um, executives with the requisite levels of experience and knowledge into our organization and just the fact that he was already proactively looking out to where the industry was going and spotted jellyfish as an opportunity for him to continue to explore how strategy and brand planning and effectiveness needs to be applied to brands in the future world that is exactly where that convergence is happening. And so um, Tom coming and joining Jellyfish, it's more, it's a, a signal to the industry that things are changing. We need all of the skills, the capabilities, the technology, the understanding of data, as well as that creativity, that brand planning, and that asking the clients the right questions 
and how can they apply all of that creative creativity to the new world how could we reach those customers okay interesting um so we'll, we'll um keep tabs and see how that develops um now internally um some really interesting things that um you've suggested you know we've in the past you know we've talked about um how you've tried to do things differently internally in terms of organization and just the role of the manager and you know you've we've spoken before about how you, you know even things like performance reviews and appraisals you've you've almost it sounded like wanted to do away with them and we'll get we'll get into the, some of the details of that um but firstly um you've actually gotten rid of line management and department heads and um, before but before this call you sent me some information and um it says here i'll read it out an old system of line management has been replaced by a support network comprising a people partner a capability partner finance partner buddy and mentor this aims to create a comprehensive ecosystem that employees can turn to um, you can still be a leader without being a line manager um so what have you got against line managers <laughs> I think line managers, I, I, use, I use the analogy of parents. I think when you're given a line manager, then they are perceived or they're expected to be the fountain of all knowledge. They are supposed to give you guidance. They're going to have all the skills, whether that's for your well-being, for your self-development, for your particular capability or expertise, as a mentor, as an inspiration. And, you know, the reason why I use the parent analogy is that, you know, I got to that point. They were the fountain of all knowledge. They gave me all the guidance. They prepared me and guided me through life. And then you get to that point where you start thinking, hang on a sec. I don't, you don't really know what you're talking about here. This is not, this is really isn't your area of specialism. I think I'm going to... Terrible gonna... <laughs> moment for children. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that realisation. And so you go to somebody else and... What I felt is that that was happening. And there's the, the, the famous study, the Dunning-Kruger, where the more confident, the, 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 sorry, the less you know about something, the more confident you are. But also there's that impact where you become senior and you become uh, a, a, like either a higher grade or a higher title within an organization around a particular capability or skill. And then you're expected to operate at the same level in many other areas. And I just don't think that's sustainable. And I think that was that is the old hierarchy way of looking at things. So, so are you say, so? Just as an example, are you saying that you become in your business a really good SEO manager, and then you start managing people, but because you're managing people, you've not actually along the way been given training to be a manager? Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's that's one component. But of course, also you are probably the most experienced. You've you've delivered the best results. You've got loads of use cases. You can articulate the proposition really well. You can help develop the product. But all of a sudden, all of that expertise and value add is being replaced by a job factory. And line management literally creates a job factory. A perfect example is in this pandemic. You would find in a traditional um, setup that people are sending work or things to their line manager just to prove they're working. <laughs> and if you imagine, if you've got 12 people doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, what do you end up doing? You're wading through stuff where people are just trying to prove they're busy and working. And, that, and our, one of our most talented people or most experienced person is actually spending their day doing line management, not interested. What, what we're interested in is for that individual, instead of actually sending stuff to prove they're doing something, I want them to be outcome focused. And I want them to just do what they're doing. And then at the end of it, against very clear targets and KPIs and uh, objectives and outcomes that they're looking to achieve, then just demonstrate they've, they've achieved it. I would love for everybody to treat their job like a, like a hobby. It's, you know, we find time for our hobbies because we're passionate, we love it, we want to either improve, we enjoy doing it. If everybody can do that, then what, what, what I would love to do is just you take full accountability, you treat your job like a hobby, you balance your life, you do it because you care, you love it, and then you can submit a business case 
and demonstrate that value exchange. Okay, help my understanding here, because in my um, limited understanding, admittedly, of um, the world of work, a line manager is different to a project manager. A project manager, they will kind of ask you about this 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 project. A project manager will ask you about this particular project and deadlines and progress checks and all the rest of it. But a line manager will do more of the pastoral stuff you know they'll be the person that you complain to about something or if you want to ask about holidays or uh if you want to ask about training opportunities they they may be they may be in charge of multiple people and have to manage a, an internal diary isn't that function still necessary what about you know the pastoral care that they provide exactly and that's what the support network's for so and we can spot trends so do i want my my talented seo specialists administrating holiday or expenses? No, I don't. So what we have is that everybody's got a people partner and they will help them with their uh, development plan, with their holiday, with their um, well-being, all of those things. That's what your people partner's there to support. Your expenses and any um, budgeting or forecasting, that's where your finance partner helps you with it. Then your capability, so actually developing and uh, making sure that as an SEO practitioner that you're continuing to develop and you understand all the processes and the technology, then you have a capability partner. And then your mentor is somebody that you could choose within the organization who's a higher grade, but it could be around any subject. And is this something that um, you've instituted for a while? And if so, how long? And what, uh, what if any results have you seen come out of it? Well, a, a, a ton of results. And yeah, it's been operating for about 18 months. And as an example, it allows you, because people are no longer in this hierarchy and everybody has a career stage and it's down to you when you submit these business cases and it's evaluated. And so as one result, our diversity and inclusion and eradicating unconscious bias. So now those business cases go to a panel and it is completely anonymized. So an individual outlines the outcomes, evidence-based outcomes in the business case to show that there's, a, there's an uh, increase in value exchange. That goes to a panel. We don't know. You could be black, white, male, female, 21 years old, 55, in Mumbai or Barcelona. We have no idea. We look at the evidence. We look at what you've achieved. And then that's how we issue uh, the, the either grade or title increases in our organization. And so what you see straight away is that if things are more diverse, the, the people who would normally be slightly more introverted have this, this uh, mechanism to articulate what value they've, they've added to the business and they're being recognized and remunerated and rewarded accordingly. And so we're seeing this, this great, just telling this, the way in which we're, we operate and we're set up from a recruitment standpoint, we're seeing a great deal of success. People who are, have those glass ceilings and they feel suppressed and that you know, they need their bosses or line managers to leave for them to progress within the organization when they hear what we've got and that your career is in your hands and there's no one can suppress you, then we're getting a much better uh, conversion rate on people joining the business. Acquisitions, we don't have to make the choice anymore. You know where you've got an acquisition, you've got two heads of PPC, then who wins? The acquiring company every time. Is that right? Is it the, the way you should go? No. So now both of them would be, as an example, a VP, a, a global VP of um, PPC, but they can both then progress at their own pace. They don't have to, people don't have to suppress others around them to elevate themselves. And it kind of frees up, it creates a culture of um, rewarding people who genuinely provide value. And um, interestingly on that, when um, you've you actually brought in a formula that you use to assess employees when it comes to performance reviews and so on, and um, says here each employee is allocated a grade as part of a new grading system each career stage within the business corresponds to a grade range for example director grades can range from 8 to 12 each having an upper and lower salary brackets that applies as a global standard and so once an employee gets their grade and salary this formula is used to index and determine their actual salary so who comes up with the formula 
and doesn't isn't it really who decides the formula is ultimately deciding how much your employees get paid well no because the formula as an example is just to make sure that you recognize the different capabilities and the marketplace and the different regions so as an example the you've got a base standard and if you work in mumbai there's an index for that global standard for mumbai but then if you work in san francisco there's an index the opposite way and so and what's that what's that index based on cost of living exactly right so as an example it might be if 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 we use the uk as the global standard you might actually have to multiply that by 1.8 in san francisco and it will be 0.5 in mumbai as an example so it it instantly it's a scientific formula to know and even if so if you were to move from london to san francisco we could do the maths and we can work out exactly what your salary your appropriate salary in that market's going to be there's also things like if you're a data scientist the index might be 1.2 but if you're hr for example it might be 0.9 and so also the specialisms have a different index after that it is simply down to you and the reason why the grade is just a line in the sand because like i said it's down to you if you believe you're adding more value over and above the expectations of your role you could submit a business case and you just go up in grades you don't even have to change your title so somebody who's excellent so you might be an seo uh, practitioner and you might create the the number one seo blog in the world creating a lot of attention getting leads um positioning us as a thought leader you could submit that as a business case and show the value this blog based on your passion is creating for jellyfish and you could go up in grades and if you continue to add value you could have the same grade as me and not even change your job responsibilities and your title so it's really making sure that we're focusing on where your superpowers lie and where you can add most value and you can continue to do that and if that manifests itself in more value for jellyfish you've got a case for more compensation mm it's really interesting um we've we've talked on this podcast um a lot about um young people in particular and how they fared during the pandemic um a lot of you know working from home culture um, one suspects that um people that like working from home are you know further along in their careers maybe have a nicer house and all the rest of it and it can be really difficult for younger people who are just starting out might live in a flat share whatever the situation might be now when you when you talk about formulas and you know a, a different system of um you know management accountability i'm i can't help thinking back to you know these young people that you might have lots of young people being in a digital agency um how for instance you know me personally it's been difficult i i i don't think i've worked as as well as i you know could have done in the last year because of all the challenges we've had with lockdown so somebody within jellyfish maybe a younger person who is maybe struggling compared to how they usually are these kind of mechanical more mechanical systems how how are you able to actually um to help those people particularly in to in when everyone's working from home yeah so the mechanical system is just the foundation to make it all fair tangible and understandable within the organization it's more about the the infrastructure of having these people partners whose sole job is to look after the well-being and the progression and uh um the the making sure that the potential is maximized in each individual and they can spot trends they could look at engagement we do a lot of activities we're leveraging technology as best we can but it's more about having people whose specific jobs are to look after individuals in our organization so when you've got a people person in your support network that is the job whereas historically again in the traditional uh hierarchy uh, environments it if if we have a big pitch you could lose your line manager for 2 weeks no problem because they've got other responsibilities and priorities and you're just expected to get on with it it's just great to have people that can't be pulled in any other direction because that is their sole responsibility it is so true what you say so as as it's easier to be more autonomous and take more accountability the more senior you are you know you're in that guidance phase and i and uh, you know i'm full of analogies and the analogy i use i go back to like the parenting but you know how did you end up speaking english 
in what is practically perfect grammar without sitting down and having a single lesson. It's all observation. It's all imitation. You were, you were, the environment around you was helping you develop and hone in on those skills and that ability. And I believe that that is what the work environments do for the younger people. And I think digital is really compromising that. And so you have to put things in place so that you can, and this is, I go back to if the, if the line managers are now leaders, and they're working with clients and developing products and leading by example and giving something quite tangible and is exposing all of our ambitious up and coming talent to what good looks like. They have something to imitate. They have something to um, emulate. And that's why I want so many more of our leaders to be examples as opposed to having that line management responsibilities um we've got a couple of minutes left i know you have to run but i, w I was wondering um you know given you've built this business over the last 15 16 years um we've seen a lot of startups actually being created over the last year um within adland um what tips would you have for you know not just young people we've already mentioned people starting out in this industry looking to move up and move on but people that are actually wanting to take the plunge and start their own business at this time what what tips would you have it's 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 just all about the passion i mean i i read who was it, it uh i can't i can't remember the, the the quote exactly but elon musk he basically said somebody said um what would you what what advice would you give to encourage people to what encouraging words would you give to somebody who's starting up a business and his answer was if you need encouraging words don't start up a business <laughs> it's all, it is all about passion it is all about doing something that you completely believe in and that you actually love and that you will find time. You will balance your life to make time to do what you're doing. And so don't chase the money. That will come. Make sure that you can, you can um, jump into it. And it is related to where your superpowers lie. And, and we, you know, we've got a specific formula for superpower. I mean, we said that you have to rate yourself like nine out of 10 or above for these five things. It's got to be skill, knowledge, experience, aptitude, and passion. If you're going to do something where you excel in those five areas, then that would be my advice. People around you, distributed accountability. That is a word that, that or phrase used very often in jellyfish. And this mindset that you're not the top of the pyramid, that you have a support network. So in my case, all of the, the senior management and the C-suite within Jellyfish, I consider to be my support network. It makes me do my job better. I don't give them advice half as much as they're giving me advice on a day-to-day -day basis so that we could run this business efficiently. So get the right people around you, acknowledge that they have skills and they can contribute often in a much more effective way than you can. It's just about your job is to make sure that the, the outcome that you're looking for, the vision, the strategy, that everybody's aligned and they understand what the outcome we're looking for and what are the objectives and initiatives to get there and make sure that you've got a team that are collectively moving in the same direction, but leveraging all of their individual superpowers. That, is, that would be my best advice. And that's our show for another week of the Campaign Podcast brought to you by Campaign Magazine. Thanks again to Rob Pierre and Brittany Kiefer for coming on this week's episode, which was edited by Lindsay Riley. Remember, listener, you can get links to all the ads and other things we've talked about today in the show notes. And of course, for the latest ad industry stories, go to campaignlive.co.uk. And if you like what you're hearing right now, well, not right now, but the rest of the episode in general, the podcast, please do subscribe, leave a review, at us on Twitter, get a tattoo, whatever, show us some love, please. But otherwise, please stay safe wherever you are and catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>